Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In this series of episodes, Glenn Barth interviews author and city coach Reggie McNeil on the content of his recent book entitled Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. Today, we focus on the first of those practices, prayer. Welcome to today's Good Cities podcast with Reggie McNeil. I'm Glenn Barth, president of Good Cities, and in this podcast, we'll be interviewing my Good Cities colleague about key insights from his latest book, Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. We at Good Cities are committed to encouraging kingdom leaders in every sector of our communities. We believe that working for the common good in our cities is, king, is a kingdom endeavor. So I'm excited to have Reggie on the call today. And Reggie, uh, as we're getting started, why don't you comment on how you view the kingdom of God and what role it plays for Jesus' followers? Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to do this. Uh, I, I grew up without much information about the kingdom, even though I was in church every Sunday, uh, even nine months before I was born, uh, as my mom went to church um, (laughs) with my dad, who happened to be the pastor. Uh, So I grew up in the church, but I didn't hear much about the kingdom. Um, I think I assumed somewhere along the way that the kingdom was a subset of church activity and that the church is God's biggest endeavor. It's only in my later years that I've come to understand that Jesus was obsessed about the kingdom. He told us to seek first the kingdom, not seek first the church. And he speaks about the kingdom, the good good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, you know, just dozens and dozens of times. And the only time he talks about church is to establish it, to point people to the kingdom, because even that is in the context of, of of that. So I had to figure out if Jesus was is just strictly focused or or just so um, intently focused on the kingdom, what is it? And for me, I have finally uh, come to the point that I understand the kingdom as life as God intends. It's about life. It's about a quality of life. It's that same quality of life that is posed to Jesus by the religious leader that gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan when he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a quality of life, not a quantity of life. And it starts right here, right now, this side of heaven, not something that picks up on the other side. And Jesus, you know, teaches us to pray for the kingdom to come today on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's when it really uh, began to work on me and finally get me to understand that that uh, life is what God's gift to us is. It is the primal gift. It's never been rescinded even when life was marred or damaged by the fall. In fact, everything since then has been God's uh, reclamation activity and redemptive activity to to win back what hell is stolen. And so uh, I'm, I, I'm thrilled to see people from every sector who are cooperating with God to help people live better lives. Uh, the, and that's in every area, uh, spiritually, of course, but physically and emotionally and uh, educationally and occupation-wise and family-wise, just the whole bandwidth of human uh, experience. 
So that's what I mean by kingdom is is a, a better world here, better life, not utopia, but the life that God intends and something that we're to be working with him about till Jesus comes um, uh, comes back. So I think that's uh, that's what drives me now, and, and I know at Good Cities, you know, with your work, Glenn, and uh, our work together, we're we're looking for people and want to accelerate the efforts of people who are in fact working for the life that God intends for the citizens of their communities. Yeah, Reggie, in your book, Kingdom Collaborators, you've identified eight signature practices of kingdom leaders who collaborate with God and others in helping people experience more of the life God intends for them. You start off with the prayer life of these leaders. You say that kingdom leaders believe that Jesus meant what he said when he entrusted us to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. How does this belief show up in the prayer practices of kingdom leaders? Well, you know, I like to talk about kingdom leaders as praying with one eye open. Um, it's it's like they they've got uh, you know one eye uh, you know closed and focused on God and uh, in terms of you know helping to get their minds uh, just centered on His presence and that communication, but not uh, both eyes closed to where they're cutting themselves off from what's going on around them. I mean, I find that community community and kingdom leaders. They pray with the community on their mind. They're paying attention to what's going on, not just in um, maybe their one little sphere, but uh, you say if they're a church leader or, or business leader or education, but really what what is it that is going on in the, the larger community where they live? And they pray about those things. Uh, they believe that those items are being put on their heart and on their mind's eye because the Spirit is prompting them to pray that uh, God's will in those areas would overcome uh, the the obstacles in those arenas where uh, God's will, is the life that he intends for us, is being thwarted somehow. So uh, it was our uh, younger daughter who really kind of uh, taught me that phrase, praying the one eye open when she was a little kid and uh, she tended, you know, when we would put her to bed at night, we'd have prayers with her, and and uh, she, Susanna, would just uh, always have her eyes open. One night, I asked her, I said, "Susanna, why don't you close your eyes?" She said, "It's because I don't want to miss anything." And um, and I find that kingdom leaders just don't miss anything. They don't want to miss anything. So as they're praying, they're they have uh, they have their community uh, on their mind in their prayer life. One of the questions that just uh, jumps off the pages of your book when you talk about prayer, Reggie, is the question, are, are you talking to God or are you talking with God? Why is the answer to that question so important? Well, actually, I grew up again, as I mentioned, in church with a lot of instruction about how to get what to say to God and how to get it said just right. And, um, you know, there were formulas for that I would uh, practice, and, and those aren't bad, but uh, in my particular tradition, there wasn't much emphasis on uh, listening in case God had something to say back, and um, I have only learned that in my later life, uh, I, where I actually do much more listening in prayer now than I do uh, talking, because uh, God is, in fact, trying to speak to us, 
And uh, in fact, he is speaking uh, to us if we can just learn to listen. And, 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 and frankly, kingdom leaders, it's been my experience, uh, are great listeners in prayer. Um, you know, I, I used to think about uh, the folks like, you know, Billy Graham or, or Nelson Mandela or whatever. You know, you hear all these stories or, you know, the past world, George Mueller or whatever. All this time that these great leaders would spend in prayer. And from my perspective of just wanting, you know, learning how to talk to God, I wonder what took them so long to get stuff said. But if they're, if they're actually in a conversation with God, then, um, now I understand why, uh, it's, you know, they spent so much time in prayer. Why Jesus spent so much time in prayer? Because it was a conversation. And in, in our conversations, we don't just talk to people, although, you know, uh, Glenn, you've probably been in conversations with people that are just talking to you. They really don't want to hear anything you've got to say. Um, uh, that's just not much of a conversation. So I find that kingdom leaders slow down to the point that they are listening for God. They may present uh, an issue, something will come to them, but they, they really want to hear what God's perspective is on that. Hmm. Reggie, you're so right about that. It's uh, it's wonderful when we pray with our ears open and we begin to listen carefully for what God has to say to us, and we're really anticipating that we have a relationship with the living God. Another question you ask in the book that sounds a little strange is, what's your position in prayer? Are you talking about whether we're standing or sitting or kneeling, whether our hands are raised or head bowed when we pray? What, what do you mean when you ask this question? <laughs> yeah, I did that deliberately um, just to kind of grab folks' attention. And it's, it has nothing to do with physical posture or positioning. It has everything to do with our own internal narrative of how we approach God in prayer and what we think our position with him is. I'll tell you, I was listening to a coach, an executive coach one day, talk about levels of coaching. And he talked about um, that level one is identifying the problem uh, that we need to work on or the issue or whatever, the challenge to the coachee. The, uh, level two is then coming up with strategies uh, for how it could be uh, approached. And then the level three, and he said this is the most challenging level because this is where the leader uh, identifies his own role in the whether what he's contributing to the problem or or what he might can do or his position or her her uh, connections and in other words this is where the identity comes into play of the coachee in terms of the situation and I listened to that and I thought wow what a, that that's kind of like a description of prayer you got level one and I hear people all the time telling God I mean I've spent most of my life informing God on what's going on here. Uh, you know, like he's not paying attention. And then I kind of help him with strategies. I mean, I was with a group last week, um, and, you know, the, the prayer at the end was kind of summarizing uh, the best thinking of the group, you know, to God for him to pick and choose from. And, and hopefully, you know, it, it helped God with his idea of how to deal with this. But it's the third <laughs> level, and it's uh, it's, it's it, of, of where... Oh, what's our connection here? What does God need to do in us? Um, how do we see our own connection to this issue and to him? It strikes me that Jesus is always praying 
from the position of a son uh, uh, as, as is accurate. So he doesn't approach God like a beggar, or he doesn't approach his father as if the father is unaware with what's happening, uh, or even with strategies. He always starts out with the assumption that the father is way ahead, and, and he even tells us this, your father knows what you need. And, um, and so, and, and even in, the, uh, in that high priestly prayer in John 17, we see Jesus rehearsing his identity. You know, Father, restore to me the glory that was, you know, mine before the foundation of the, the world. I mean, magnificent prayer of, of Jesus reminiscing about the future. And so, uh, bottom line is, he teaches us to do the same when he gives us the model prayer. It's about relationship. Our Father. That right off the bat, he's saying, as we pray, we're coming at this as God's children, um, a pretty privileged position. I think that has helped me in more recent years to understand that I don't have to brief God and help him with strategies. I need to thank him up front for his interest and what he's going to do. And then I need to listen for my role in it. How would God use me uh, in this situation? But that allows me to come to him as, as a grateful son, a grateful child, an expectant child. As, you know, sometimes I honestly, at the end of many of my prayers, sometimes I, I kind of end it with, you know, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do about this. This will be great fun. Uh, you know, and, and that's, I really think, that's kind of um, the, the position that I think opens us up in prayer to all this power and insight that we see great prayer warriors have uh, in the world. Reggie, I really like the notion that uh, we pray in the present, as you're saying, to a God who knows what's in the future. And uh, you make an interesting connection between the future and prayer. Can you comment on that? Well, you know, I, I, I do think that the kingdom is a future that is trying to break in on the present, and Jesus teaches us to do that. That's the fast-forward button in the, in the model prayer. You know, your kingdom come uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth. I mean, that's a fast-forward button because what Jesus is saying is, Lord, the, the, the world as you see it, the world that you want, the life that you want, us to experience, you know, let it come, let it come now. And I think the kingdom is like a virus just trying to, you know, get in any way it, it can. But it is a future that's try, that is breaking in on the present. I think every time uh, we have a kingdom experience and we realize that we've just seen the future actuated into present reality. And, and God is the ultimate begin with the end in mind. Uh, he's not working this thing out as we move ahead. And so he's coming from that perspective of the finished product and his kingdom being completed and, and his exalted reign being complete. And so he's moving to intersect with our world from that reality. Um, and it's, and it's, as someone said once, I don't know who it was, but, you know, the future is already here. It's just not equally distributed. Well, the, the same way um, the kingdom's already here. It's just not equally distributed yet uh, around the world. And so I think as we, uh, as we position ourselves for this future that God wants us to have, uh, it further enables us to 
relax our minds, open our minds to what God might be at work at and uh, be a better collaborator with him, which is the point of the book. How do we collaborate with God and with other people? So I think prayer, and I'll give you one more example out of the New Testament, even in the Passion Week of Jesus, you know, we have that famous fig tree episode where I grew up, you know, being informed by those uh, subtexts that aren't inspired scripture, just stuff that people have put in, the cursing of the fig tree. So I, you know, I always saw that as, you know, Jesus uh, does does a number on this poor fig tree. And I had a couple of uh, questions about that in my mind forever. One is, why is the Lord of creation picking on creation? Because it even mentions in one of the accounts, it's in two of the, uh, both Matthew and Mark, one of the accounts, it mentions uh, it wasn't the time of year for figs. So why is Jesus upset with a tree and it's not producing figs when it's not supposed to be producing figs? And um, and so, you know, in my consulting with a figologist, I, under, I, I came to understand that the tree actually shouldn't have even supposed to have leaves, uh, not just figs. So basically what Jesus spies on his way into town with his disciples in tow is he sees a tree that is completely out of ground. It is a tree that's dying because it, it's it's out of season. It's not acting right. And he calls the disciples' attention over to that tree. And when he says, you're never going to bear fruit again, it's not as if he's nuking the tree. He is pronouncing an already apparent fact uh, because the disciple and the miracle, the story is that he fast-forwards the future. And, and so the disciples, just look what they say. They don't say, oh, you nuked that fig tree. No, they're not impressed with the fact that what they say in both accounts, is how did that happen so quickly? In other words, how, they saw the future being fast-forwarded in that tree, and they wanted to know how did that happen so quickly. That's when Jesus then tells them, well, I'll tell you how. You can say it, and he gives us instruction on prayer. Now, if you think the miracle there is he kills a fig tree, then an instruction on prayer right there seems kind of weird because it's like saying, well, you can, you can even do more than this. You know, as he, you know, blows off the, uh, you know, his gun. Uh, but, but no, uh, it's, you know, he gives us that. And he says, if you believe, if you can sync up with what God is doing, you can tell this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea. And, uh, you know, or, or, you know, you could say, in other words, you, you can be a powerful, uh, you, your prayers then just work in powerful tandem with the reality that God's trying to bring to pass. So I know that's a long story, to, but that, that, that whole episode is so powerful to teach us and show us the power of prayer when we are hooked up with, uh, you know, the, the giver of life and the sustainer of the universe and how he wants to engage us. Reggie, you know, I, I'd like to just go back to an earlier point you made uh, in our interview as we talk about prayer. Uh, you say that kingdom collaborators don't just listen for God, they also look for him. And I sense that's what you're saying, that the disciples yeah. were doing. They were seeking to look for what, what Jesus was doing as a reflection of what God was doing in their midst. But there's ways that we can be looking for that as well today. How and where should kingdom collaborators be looking to see what God is about? You know, I often get that question. It's a great question. Um from leaders that I coach and 
and groups, you know, that you and I engage in, in cities. And, uh, and of course, you know, through our process, uh, we help people listen, uh, you know, through our appreciative inquiry. But we also help people to take a look around. And oftentimes, and, and you know, just the, the, the point of looking, uh, how, how do you put yourself in a position to see? I mean, Jesus said uh, in another, uh, another place, another episode with the disciples in Samaria on that, you know, famous woman at the well um, experience, um, you know, look out at the fields. They were so looking in that they missed uh, what 12 guys on a mission trip were supposed to be paying attention to, which was the, the stuff beyond them. So Jesus chides them about, turn your eyes outward, and you'll see what's going on here. Look around you. Don't just look at. So I ask, you know, I, I, when I work with leaders, I say, look, tell me your agenda, because whatever you're looking at, uh, that's what you're working on. Let me see the agenda of your staff meeting. Let me see the agenda of your elder board. Uh, you know, let's let's see what what you are putting your focus on because that's what leaders are working on. In another place, Jesus turns to Simon. You remember, remember the at, at his home and in that episode of the woman uh, anointing Jesus. And his question to Simon is, Simon, do you see this woman? I mean, are you kidding? I mean, you know, no one in the room is looking at anything else except this woman. But he's challenging Simon. Do you see beyond? what you've already determined about this woman. You've slotted her into a certain position. She's been dismissed in your mind. Do you see this woman? I just think so often we have, you know, we've already categorized, sliced and diced, and we're not looking past uh, our own prejudices and bias. One of the things I help leaders with, I think, is to say, you know, if God's wanting to bust open your, uh, your seeing, I would pay attention to the new stuff because it's so often where God is at work. You know, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? You know, he asked through the prophet uh, and uh, to uh, the, the folks in exile there uh, and uh, in the Old Testament. And I think he's still asking that question. God is the God of the new. I mean, you know, creation was new. Adam was new. Eve was new. Um, I mean, we're going to, a, we have a new birth. Uh, we're going to a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, God says at the end of the book, I'm making everything new. God is not the God of antiquity. See, and heaven is not, I don't think heaven's going to be, uh, you know, furnished with uh, antiques. Uh, I, you know, behold, I'm doing, I'm making everything new. So I ask people all the time, what's that new challenge? What's that new insight? What's that new opportunity? What's that new uh, problem? Uh, what's that new relationship that you've been able to form? What's that there for? So I find that oftentimes when we begin to catalog what's new in our lives, that it is a clear way of how God is trying to break into our lives in new and powerful ways. That helps people look for God, I think. Well, thanks, Reggie, for sharing these insights into prayer, the prayer lives of kingdom leaders who are collaborating with God in his kingdom work on earth. Our hope and prayer is that today's podcast will help you know how you can more effectively partner with God in praying that his kingdom come in your community and that your city or community will become a good city. God bless you and have a great day. 
Well, you've been listening to uh, my interview here with Reggie McNeil about his insights into what helps leaders become kingdom collaborators with God and with others in helping the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. At Good Cities, we believe that's a contextualized vision. It's something we need to work out in our own local context, our community, our city, and we need to understand what the needs are of the people around us and what's going to motivate people to serve together. If you'd like to learn more about how you can help your community address those needs as a kingdom collaborator, I'm going to encourage you to contact either me or Reggie. You can do so simply by contacting us at info at goodcities.net. That's info at goodcities.net. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to help you. We hope you have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek his kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net.